Well, today is Mother's Day, as we've already heard. I don't know if you heard, uh, there was a survey done last year in which they worked out how much mums should get paid. Did you see that? Apparently, mothers should earn £172,000 a year. Um, they worked out that the average mum works 119 hours a week. So if therefore 40 of those hours are sort of paid at standard rate, there are 79 hours overtime. Uh, and they questioned a thousand mums uh, and they worked out that on average mums started work at 7am, finishing at around 11pm and therefore calculating that on the basis of the different roles mums played, which included housekeeper, part-time lawyer, personal trainer, entertainer, psychologist, all of those working out the average salaries of those, uh, with the most being £48.98 an hour for part-time lawyer, they worked out the grand total of £172,000 a year. So mums, today we're pleased to announce <laughs> I'm afraid you can't get that today, but we want to, if you're a mum or uh, today is a day in which you celebrate your mums, whether they are still here or not, or whether today is a painful day for you, uh, we want to uh, be a community in which we recognise God's great parental love to us. So we're going to pray uh, and we're going to then jump in with our Bible passage today, which as we begin a new series has a lot to say to us no matter who we are, no matter what our life is like at the moment. Let's pray. I'm going to pray using some words from the book of Isaiah. Let the one who walks in the dark, the one who has no light, may they trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Speak, we pray, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher now? Would we see your heart, Lord? Amen. I don't know if you've heard the joke about the doctor who happened to see one of his patients in the street. Hi, Ken, the doctor said. I haven't seen you lately. No, replied Ken. I've been ill. <laughs> Pretty poor joke, I know. But today we begin a series. If we can have the first slide up, please, Malcolm. A series called... Uh, we'll come to the reading in a minute. Uh, a series called Try Praying. We are in the middle of something here at Riverside where this last week we launched Try Praying uh, and you may have seen the booklets. They're available at the back if you haven't got one and also in your outlooks you'll have seen these little cards inviting you to the services or giving you the opportunity to invite others to services with hopefully some connection points because regardless of whether you're a person of faith or not, regardless of whether you'd call yourself a Christian or regardless of whether you have friends who are in that situation, the vast majority of people admit at some point praying and so therefore we want to provide an opportunity for people to pray to use this booklet themselves seven days in one week to pray and then to lose it by giving it away to others and our hope is like that person in that joke that we would come to the right place the right venue the right heart to understand where we can really get help both with the whole issue of praying, but in the whole issue of our lives as well. And today, 
We're going to kick off with this word nerve. All about keeping your nerve in praying. All about having the nerve to pray. Not being nervous in prayer, but keeping our nerve resolutely praying, whether we see those answers or not. And for some of us, this will be about the nerve to start praying, falteringly with words that we're not sure what to say. For others of us, it's about the nerve to keep on praying because we've prayed frankly for decades for something and the tears have come pouring down our faces and we're on the edge or maybe we have even stopped praying because frankly it hurts too much. Nerve, nerve, about enduring, about keeping going. I was looking up endurance feats the other day and do you know the greatest, they think, the most amazing endurance feat was three men who ran across the Sahara Desert in 111 days. 4,000 miles in 111 days, which meant they ran the equivalent of two marathons a day in sand in temperatures up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit and below freezing at night. Their day started at 4 a.m. They ran until lunch. They ate. They run until 9.30. Did it all again for 111 days. Bonkers. But they had a nerve to keep on going, to keep on putting one foot in front of the other. And today, the passage that we're looking at, I think, outlines three reasons that we can have nerve to pray, to keep on praying. So, Malcolm, if we may, if it's okay, if we can have the reading up. We're going to read from Luke chapter 18. Uh, and this is a parable, a story that Jesus tells to his close followers, his disciples, all about praying. And as we read this, I want us to bear in mind there is a contrast in this passage between the judge and God. And there is a contrast between us and the widow. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So if we can go back to the, 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 show, the PowerPoint now, uh, Malcolm, that would be helpful. Because in a sense, this verse that I'm going to keep on the screen summarizes this passage. And this verse is from Matthew's Gospel. Let me read it to us. When Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Keep your nerve. 
So let's jump into that. We'll keep that on the screen. Let's jump into the passage. And there's three contrasts, three reasons for us to keep the nerve in praying. And the first reason is this. Because God is more willing and more able to answer your prayer than the judge was in that story. Jesus tells the story about a judge who frankly is not a very nice judge. Verse 4. Verse three, 2, shall I say, he neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And this widow comes to him and verse 4, for sometimes, for some time he refuses to answer her. He just doesn't want anything to do with it. There's a hesitation in the judge answering. And sometimes some of us can feel a bit like that with prayer. That when we pray to God... It's as if, frankly, sometimes he refuses. Sometimes he just doesn't care. And so we get in our minds that the fault is with us. Maybe we need to pray in a certain way. And so some traditions invent this sort of thing where we have to pray a kind of rote. You know, if we keep on praying enough, if we say these words enough, if we keep going, then maybe, just maybe we can kind of Bother God enough that he'll eventually give in. All right then. Or there's another version of that. Where some of us feel that we have to pray with certain phrases. Or certain perspectives on God. Or, or claiming something. Or, or speaking certain things into being. Or, or having a certain heart. And then maybe, just maybe, our prayers will convince God. Even though utterly, really, he doesn't really want to answer them. Well, compare that with verse 8, where Jesus says, I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. God is way more willing and way more able to answer than this judge. There's a great book on prayer, an old, old book by a man called E.M. Bounds. Classic work. And he says this, he likens prayer to bell ringing. And he says these words, brilliant, stirring words. Prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pull at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continually with all his might. Reader, he says, do you know how to handle the bell rope? To pull it vigorously and constantly. We know that some do, and then these are the words. Hell trembles when they seize that rope. Some of us can approach prayer with a sort of view that God is unwilling. Jesus is making a deliberate contrast that he's very willing. And he's very able. But there's another contrast. Not only is, he, not only is the contrast between the, God who's the judge who's hesitant. But verse 5, the reason he answers is because the widow's bothering him. He just wants a bit of peace and quiet. Please leave me alone. And verse, it goes on, brilliant verse, end of verse 5, so that she won't attack him. In other words, his answer to her request is precisely self-serving. He wants peace and quiet. He, doesn't, he wants an easy life, basically. The judge acts out of selfishness. But contrast that with verse 7. 
Jesus talks about the unjust judge and then says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? In other words, if, that's, if the unjust judge answers her, how much more will God answer? One author says these words, God delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. Don't try to get prayer right. Just tell God where you are and what's on your mind. That's what little children do. They come as they are, running, runny noses and all. God is willing, God is able, which is what try praying is all about. Can I ask you, what is it that you're talking with God about? What do you long for? Are we eager that maybe just maybe God is really wanting to answer those prayers, really wanting to listen, really eager to speak with you? A few years ago, uh, I was surprised by a story friends told me. They had moved into a house in which, frankly, they needed a lawnmower, and they had no money to buy a lawnmower. And they didn't know what to do with this, and so they prayed. And then little to know, within a week, their parents had given them money precisely for a lawnmower without them even asking for it. And I remember chatting with these friends of mine, and they were saying, we have no idea what to do with that. I mean, does God really bother about a lawnmower? What about world poverty? What, you know? And, and to be honest, I have no idea what to do with that. But it did remind me that when we do pray, maybe just maybe we do have a God who does care about you, or does care about your needs, does care about what's going on in your life. We don't need to pray to him as though we've got to convince him, twist his arm against his will. So keep your nerve because God is willing, God is able. But secondly, not only there's a contrast between God and this unjust judge, there's a contrast between the widow and us. Widows in that day were on their own. If they had no male family members, they were literally on their own. They had to rely on a son or some sort of wider male family relation who would take them in. Otherwise, literally, they were destitute. And this one, not only on top of that, clearly is, has some sort of adversaries, some sort of abuse, whatever it is. And the judge doesn't care. Doesn't fear God, doesn't care. And again, for some of us, because of our lives, because of our experience, because we have prayed prayers that we feel as though God hasn't heard. Some of us, if we're honest, do have that idea about God, that God just doesn't care. And so we have to pray to convince him against his will. But look at verse 7. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? I tell you, he will see they get justice. Will he keep putting them off? Jesus is very tenderly saying, God hears, God cares, God loves, God sees, God knows. I don't know if you've ever heard the story about Abraham Lincoln during the American Civil War. 
A young soldier was being forced to do his duty and fight in the war, but he was terrified because of what the future held. Both his parents were seriously ill. He had to look after them. If he had to go to war, he didn't know what would happen to them. So he decided that he would go and try and speak directly himself with the president, with Abraham Lincoln. So he tried to get into the White House, but was continually refused admission, as no doubt you'd expect. But he knew he needed to speak directly face to face with him. So he sat outside, downcast, burdened, worried on what on earth could he do, when suddenly a young man came past him and asked him what the matter was. And he told him, the young soldier explained his situation. The young man said to him, come with me. And he proceeded to walk right on into the White House, through the guards, right on past, right into where Abraham Lincoln was sat. What can I do for you, Todd? said the president to the young man. Dad, this man is a soldier. He needs your help. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins with the words, Our Father in heaven. Father, who delights to give good gifts, not distant, unjust judge, but kind, gracious judge. Father, God knows and hears your prayer. You are far more cared for and loved than this widow here, with all our need. So why keep your nerve? Because God is more willing, God is more able than the judge. Because you are more loved, you are more cared for than the widow is in this story. But thirdly, there's another reason to keep your nerve, to keep on praying. And it's this. Because prayer is more important, way more important than just asking for help. The context of this passage, you may have got it as we read it, is quite clear. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then the very last verse, we read these words. I tell you, God will see that they get justice and quickly. However, will this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The context of this is reading the chapter before, chapter 17. Have a look at it at home. All about following Jesus. How to keep going when you're faced with opposition. How to keep following Christ, trusting in him, even when everything is turning against us. It's about endurance. And so therefore, as Paul Miller, the author, says, prayer is not a list of requests. Prayer is leaning in the direction of God. It's relationship. Because God talks, Jesus talks here about those who cry out to him day and night. Prayer is not some sort of formulaic list that we tick off. It's gutsy dependency. It is a cry, an ache, a heart pouring out, God, please. Eugene Peterson said these words. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. In my experience, those times where you almost get to the end of praying 
and you don't know what to say and you just cry out, God, do something. It's at that moment as if the Father says, now you're praying. Crying out. I would guess there are some people here who have prayed long and hard for some things for decades. And if we're honest, this, the quickly in verse 7 seems a long way off. That word cry is key. Prayer is saying to God, pouring out, lamenting, God, do something. And do you notice, when we do that, that's a supreme example of faith because it's total dependence on him. It's us saying, I've got nothing here. That's faith. It's not clever sounding lists. It's not well-crafted prayers that say the right words. It's, God, it's you saying, God, it's, it's all in your hands. I have nothing here. One author, Richard Kokin, said this. We like to think of prayer as our personal Aladdin's lamp by which we summon the divine genie to do our bidding. Get me success, get me a partner, get me health, be quick about it. We love the books and speakers that tell us that God just loves to hear all our problems and grant all our desires. And when he doesn't, we become cynical about prayer and about God. But Jesus teaches us that before we can know what to ask for ourselves, we need to learn what to ask for him. For when we think about his reputation, his rule, his plans, it then changes everything that we ask for ourselves. And that's the difference between prayer as just asking for something and prayer as a relationship. This widow, this judge, they had a transactional relationship. She wanted something, he delivered it if she twisted his arm. Whereas prayer, God's relationship with his chosen ones, father to child, is far more about intimacy with him. That's why we can keep our nerve. That's why prayer really makes a difference. Can I invite us to stand? Please stand. And as I invite the band back up, I'm guessing that for some of us, prayer features uh, on our agenda a lot less than perhaps we would like it to. But maybe some of us this morning have realized that our cries are effective prayer far more than we realize. And in the stillness, it may be in your own heart, you might like to ask God to stir your affections again. To know that he's your father. That he does care. And that he does hear. And therefore you can keep on going.
Father, I pray particularly this morning for those here who have prayed for years for something. And the tears have fallen and the heart aches and they don't know why. Lord, we pray. Would you both draw close to them and would they have the strength to keep their nerve, to keep on pouring out their heart to you, your, their heavenly Father. Father. And Lord, for all of us, would you help us to be people who realize there is the possibility of walking with our heavenly Father all the time, pouring out our heart to you, crying out day and night. And would that change everything, Lord? Would we see you right, not as a distant, unjust judge, but as a gracious, loving Father, longing, longing to talk with us and meet our needs. Father, thank you. Thank you.